You're listening to the Own the Build podcast, where each week, Paul Hemming from C-Link interviews experts on how SME developers and contractors can transform their business through intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the Own the Build podcast with me, Paul Hemming. Today's episode is titled, How Domain Contractors Improve Their Business Model. And today we are joined by Terry O'Mahony, who is the founder of the Construction Leaders Club. Welcome to the show, Terry. Uh, thank you, Paul. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Terry. Now, obviously people are listening to this, but I am on video with you. Where are you sat today? Terry, make me jealous. I'm actually sitting um, in Alicante, which is uh, in southern Spain, and it's about uh, 18 degrees outside, sunny and not a cloud in the sky. I'm hoping that makes you very jealous. I am incredibly jealous here, Terry. I can see that you're quite smug over there. Now, not only are you sat in 18 degree southern Spain's sunshine, but you're doing it in what can only be described as fantastic British style. Because is that a cup of tea that I can see you drinking there? Uh, it's it's actually coffee. I, I'm a coffee man. Oh, uh, my my my, okay, my, wa- my wife's got the tea belly, but I'm I'm a coffee man. <laughs> this is going out live, so we'll be get, not live, but this is going out public, so we'll keep that on the down low. But cool. So with it and with a, with a name like O'Mahony, Terry, where where are you, where are you from originally? Uh, well, uh, I was brought up in uh, in Lancashire, so Greater Manchester, but my heritage obviously goes back to Southern Ireland. So my grandfather was from a place called Care in Tipperary, but basically I'm English, lived here all my life, well, lived in, in England all my life until, well, say two years ago when COVID struck. And you decided to flee to sunny, sunny Spain. Well, I like to speak to, uh, I always like to ask about Irish uh, heritage because I myself was born, I'm born in the UK, but my I have a lot of Irish heritage from uh, Wexford. So I always like to ask. Beautiful place, isn't it? Oh, it, it is, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been there many times, mainly playing golf, but, you know, sometimes taking clients to Dublin to watch the rugby. Yeah, it, it, it's a lovely place. Um, uh, Connemara is my favourite uh, area. The coastline there is is dramatic. It's like Cornwall. It's beautiful, and you can see the the waves roaring in from the Atlantic. It's a special place. The trouble is, it's cold and it rains a lot, unlike where I am now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're much happier there. And we could talk about Ireland. We could talk about Spain for probably half an hour or so, Terry. But we've got to talk about how we can make make attractors better and kind of talk to talk to them about what you do so on that basis talk to me and explain your business and your experience really in the sector in construction okay so i i've been uh, i've been in the construction industry since i was 16 which uh, is a few years ago now and having said that i've i've worked in every phase of the construction process uh, you know, from concept to completion and beyond. I've worked at every level, site foreman, site manager, right up to managing director. 
And my last proper job was that as a, a project manager or a manager of project managers. And then in 2008, when the last recession struck, I was able to set up my own consultancy, which was offering two things, basically. One was project management services, and the other one was business development and sales. And at the time, there was no need for project management because nothing was happening. But everybody was desperate to get projects. So I tended to focus on the business development side of the equation with you know, quite a bit of success. Excellent. And, and so then Construction Leaders Club, company that you are uh, founder and director of now, what do you guys do and how do you do it? Well, ba basically, I set Construction Leaders Club up as a networking event, basically to allow me to meet new people who could commission me for my consultancy work. Uh, and that was 10 years ago. For the first eight years, we did everything live. And then when COVID struck, we morphed into a virtual model, which we're, we're still doing. But is on it the when back... COVID struck or is it when you decided to move to Spain, Terry? No, no, it, it, was, it was both. Uh, when COVID <laughs> struck, we realized that people weren't interested in live meetings. And we already had a house in Spain. And so we said, well, look, why don't we just go and check the house out? So we came over for a month. But things got worse and worse in the UK. And they seemed to get better in Spain. So we started to do everything virtually. So even all my coaching clients morphed into a virtual coaching scenario. And, and it's, it's continued since. So originally, we started the club up to meet new people. Out of that, people came to us and said, look, I, I run an architectural practice or I run a small building contractor business. I don't know anything about business in, in truth. Can you help? So we set up a, a mastermind style program to help business owners understand how better to position their businesses. Uh, and then those business owners came back and said, uh, this is great, but I go back to the office and talk to my lieutenants. And they say, I don't know what you're talking about, boss. Not invented here, don't know. So that you know, they were getting pushback. So we created a program for them, which is called Rising Stars, which has now been running for six years, where we help the middle managers, the team leaders, to appreciate what, what the business owner, the business leader is trying to achieve that gets them more deeply involved with the senior team. And we've found as a consequence, lots of these people who've been on our program, they've been uh, promoted to partner, director, and even business owner. And then out of that, people came back to me and said, this is brilliant, but I need some one-to-one -one training. So then I got into business coaching. So you use your years of construction expertise across all areas of the sector in different roles to improve construction companies and how they operate and therefore you're some, somewhat of a business coach to some degree is that a fair fair way to do it or be it with a very construction focused angle well because i'm independent i i i've got the um, the ability to give myself 
whatever title I, I choose. So I call myself a business growth consultant. Oh, I like that. Now, my next question, Terry, was going to be, what is a common myth about your role as a business coach? But what is a common myth about your role as a uh, growth expert, as you have just put it? Well, mo most of the people I work with don't really know what their problem is. So, so for instance, in the last 18 months, I've probably had 60 people come to me for what I call a discovery call. And they come to me with a problem. And it takes me usually about 15 minutes to realize that isn't the problem. It's, it's something else. <laughs> and, and at the same time, whilst they don't understand what their problem is, they're looking for a silver bullet, you know, one shot answer to this problem. And there's no such thing. So it takes me quite a while to get them to a trust me uh, and then to appreciate that they are looking in the wrong direction and there isn't a silver bullet. So we need to sit down and work out, look, where are we? Where do we want to get to? What's the nature of the gap and how do we fill it? Uh, and it, it takes quite a bit of time, but it's all based on honesty and trust. You know, without that, you, you can't achieve anything. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. And you must have a really nice angle on the way a lot of people, a lot of senior directors, business owners feel when they're managing their construction companies. And you must have a really nice view on and history of seeing how you've helped different businesses. We came here to kind of come together and talk about how main contractors can improve their business and improve their business model. So obviously, in the world of business, there are many different business models. You've got subscription model, which my business has as a software company. You have Hertz Enterprise Cars, they have a leasing model, Uber is a product service model, lots of different models. First and foremost, what different types of models are there for main contractors in your view? Well, there, there aren't that many actually. When, when you think about it, you, you've got to start with the industry that you're in and the industry largely is constrained in a number of ways and the ability to change the model is, is fairly limited. So if, if I go back in time, the traditional methodology or the different business model was that of traditional contracting, where the architect was the master builder. He put a team around himself and then uh, a team of professionals. And, and then they'd go out to tender, uh, select a contractor, and then run the guy ragged. And, and then came design and build, which was a bit novel and the, the professionals didn't like it. And then came frameworks, where now the major contractors are in charge now, and the professionals really are dancing to their tune. So those models haven't been designed by the industry. They've been kind of forced into by government uh, and statutory requirements, really. So, so the scope to change the model is, is, is very limited. The, the thing where it's not as limited is how you present your business to the marketplace in a better fashion than the competition do. Because the problem is it's all about beating the competition. Uh, whereas if you take other 
other industries. I mean, take Uber for example. That they, they weren't in competition. They they just they just created a new marketplace, which is difficult to do when you're in the construction industry because you you're constrained by all the frameworks and statutory obligations and 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 governmental instruments. So it it, it makes innovation in a business model sense difficult, whereas it's it's easier to sort of innovate in terms of products and services. So in terms of uh, your first conversations with main contractors, there'll be main directors of main contractors listening to this right now thinking, I wonder what a discovery would look like for me. And you say that often they think one thing is their problem, but quite often it's something completely different. How can people start to think about the issues that they're having and reflect on them and improve when you sit with them? Okay, so so there's really two sides to the equation. The first one is the business. So they're kind of looking at the business and saying, I, I need to improve things. There's something wrong with it. It's not working properly. It's not profitable enough. Uh, we're not getting enough share of the market. It's all about the business. And they don't realize that because they're in charge of the business, it's also about them. And so we start looking at the business, yes, but at the same time, we start looking at the individual because very few of us were designed to be business leaders and very few of us have got an amazing mindset. Most of us have got flaws and setbacks in the way we think. All of us have got flaws. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even the, the absolute top dogs, in the industry who are paid astronomic amounts of money, they still aren't as good as they need to be. And they half of them probably enjoy imposter syndrome. And I remember the last recession, lots of the directors and managing directors and partners I was talking to, they all said, oh, we didn't see the recession coming. So we we can't be held responsible for the fact that our companies halved in turnover, halved in profits. Don't blame us. It's the industry and it's the market. It's not us, which isn't true because what I've found in, in the last 10 years of coaching is that most of the problems in a business are internal. It's not the market that's the problem necessarily. It's usually internal issues and they start with the owner leader of the business perhaps not being up to the standard they ought to be do you think that's fair when you you know i can understand some business owners thinking there's not much i can do about the financial crisis in 2008 and therefore business the economic impact was huge and therefore i can't be blamed for that which i understand where is it that you think that they People are failing, though, that you say you can be responsible for that. You can protect against this. Okay, well, think of it in these terms. We've all heard of the 80-20 rule, you know, Pareto's formula. It's It's been true for centuries. So there's the 80-20 rule. So 80% of businesses, business leaders, don't really look to the future. They don't look for trends they don't really have a strategy. They're being 
taken along by the the strength or otherwise of the marketplace. So those people are the ones that tend to suffer when a recession or a setback takes place. Now, the other 20 percent, they've been looking at the trends. They've been monitoring what's going on and they've been positioning the business or they've been reducing costs or reducing exposure to risks. So when the downturn comes, A, it's not a surprise, and B, they've positioned themselves in a, in a way that helps them to survive the downturn. You know, if you look at, well, it, I, I say arguably, but I do believe what I'm saying. But if you look at other industries... I actually think that you're talking a lot of sense here, Terry, and this, this, this actually is the crux of the matter we've talked about this before actually on on the podcast is how do you how do you position yourself as a construction company and there are many ways to do it but you were just about to say something about other industries so please go on well one of the things about other industries is that uh, they perhaps have a better take on things than we do you know on the one hand if you look at the london skyline and you see all those amazing buildings that have been put up in the recent past it makes you realize that our industry is highly technical and it's full of brilliant people. So, you know, why am I complaining about the quality of leadership? But if you look at other industries, and often I say to my coaches, look, why don't you do some benchmarking? Look at another industry, look at another company that's got a great product or a service and benchmark yourself against them. In fact, get in touch with them and ask them for help because not all the good ideas come out of the construction industry. In fact, probably very few. Most of them Far come outside, yeah. outside of the industry and help us along. I mean, you know, a stupid example is Microsoft. You know, before Microsoft came along and helped us in the construction industry and every other industry, you know, we were, what were we, bean counters, the Everything was handwritten sort of thing. Hey, that um, sounds like you're being nasty to QSs calling us bean counters. <laughs> well, not really, but uh, somebody's got to count them. Yeah, exactly. That's what I always say. That's well, it's a fact, say. isn't it? You know, I mean, uh, you know, if, if we don't know what the numbers are, how can we manage a business? Uh, I think that great, a great quote is, what gets measured gets managed. So... You know, got to measure You're stuff. to start more and more like a QS here, Terry. <laughs> I'm liking this. I'm liking this a lot. That's probably not what you want to sound like, but you are. No, I don't. No, no. Like I'd, but I'd, I'd accept project manager, but QS is not my style. It's a step too far. No one wants to be slandered that way, do they? But this, this is a really interesting conversation, and I want to continue it, but we'll do that right after this break. Owner Build is brought to you from our sponsor, C-Link. Software used by developers and main contractors to manage subcontract procurement in one place. Find subcontractors, automate tenders and contracts, control construction program, compare prices, and improve project profitability with C-Link. To find out more, head to c-link.com. Now back to the show. A while back, Terry, we were talking on this podcast about how you can market yourself in a different way. And we talked 
actually quite a lot about positioning. And you're absolutely right in that business models, there's only so many like D&B, et cetera, et cetera. I agree with that. But it is how you position yourself. And it's about identifying trends for the future. On that particular episode, we hypothesized that for a main contractor or even a subcontractor, becoming BIM savvy, particularly in the SME market, could be a really interesting way to position yourself in a unique way that clients are going to need more and more of those services. So that was us hypothesizing on a completely different conversation. But could you describe your process when you're speaking to main contractors specifically, how they can improve their businesses? Well, I, I, I think the, the starting point with any business is, do, do you understand what business you're in? Which sounds a bit stupid, but often we just accept that we're in this, you know, we're in this business, we're in this, this channel, we're in this. Uh, and, and they don't look outside of that. They just accept that as being the norm. Whereas what we should be doing is saying, look, for instance, there's, say, 52 unique sectors that the construction industry services. So you could be talking about health, defense, ports, railway stations, hospitals. The built environment is endless. But let's just say it's, it's 50 sectors. Well, you can't be in them all. So you've got to niche down. And you've got to choose the right sectors or the right niches that either are attractive to you from, say, a profitability point of view, from a repeat business potential point of view, from this suits our capabilities point of view to, well, we just like doing it. So it, it starts by saying, what business are we in? What, what kind of business do we want to be in? How do we get there? What sort of a business model do we need to follow? What sort of a strategy do we need to adopt? What's our marketing policy going to be? What messages do we need to be putting into the marketplace? Who are we trying to talk to? Who are the decision makers? Because it's the 80-20 rule again. 80% of the market are not interested in you. 20% might be. But of that 20%, there's probably only 1% that you need to be talking to. So how do you find out who the 1% is? You've got to do some thinking, some analysis. Absolutely. This is, this is, and this is kind of getting to the crux of a similar conversation that we had, as, as I mentioned. But when you sit down with your new clients and you talked earlier about trust being the, the first hurdle, you've got to get to that point. When you say to a director of a business, there's 50 sectors, 50 sectors within subsectors within construction. You need to forget about 49 or 48 of them. I need you to focus on one or two. Is there resistance to that? How do people feel when you say that to them? Oh, absolutely resistance. Because everybody wants to feel that uh, the whole market's available to them and they want a share of it. You know, why, why niche down when there's all this market to have a go at? The truth is that if you don't niche down, you become a generalist. So take an analogy. You've got a general practitioner, you know, your local doctor. So he's being paid 100000 a year, which isn't too bad. But the, the, the brain surgeon next door or the heart surgeon, he's probably on 500000 And the difference is he's a specialist. 
we like specialists. We don't like generalists because you're a generalist, I'm a generalist, he's a generalist. Where's, where's the unique offer? Where's the unique capability? It's only in becoming a specialist. Yeah, which, which I understand and makes sense. So we are, however, talking about main contractors. And a, a main contractor in its nature is a bit of a generalist. So how do I make my main contracting business a specialist? How would you go about that? Okay, well, again, there's 50 sectors. You can't address them all because you're not equipped to. So you've got to, you've got to niche down to those that you can genuinely offer value to. It might be five, it might be 10. Get beyond 10 and you're becoming a generalist again. So let's say you select 10 sectors and, and you feel that you can add value to those sectors. Then what you've got to do is, is put somebody at the head of that sector. So you need a sector champion. Somebody who knows it inside out, is, is on LinkedIn talking about it, who, who helps to position the company as a leader in that particular sector, ignoring the fact that they're leaders in other sectors, but they are out and out a specialist in that particular one. So you, you can be a specialist in lots of different sectors if you're big enough, but if you're not big enough, then you need to, you need to focus on one, one thing. And is that the first step to growth in your eyes? It's focus on a niche and then attack that niche. Is that how you are advising your clients? Yes, but, but a step before that is you've got to understand the business inside out before you can choose a niche. So you, you need to know the strengths and weaknesses of a business, apply the old SWOT analysis to work out what opportunities are available to us? Where are the threats? And then having done that analysis, you say, look, okay, guys, these are the options available to us. Which one do we favor? Uh, and and let's, let's look at it in some detail. Because this, this doesn't happen overnight and there's no such thing as a silver bullet. You've got to understand the business inside out before you can choose the road ahead. Uh, because when you choose the road ahead, there comes a strategy. Then you've got to take the team with you. Because if the team's not committed to that strategy, they won't deliver it. I concur with that. And what I find really interesting about how you've talked about the different types of work that you do with your clients is that actually, and you've, you, you offer something that I haven't heard anybody else offer, uh, which is that you offer coaching first and foremost to obviously the director and the person at the top, let's say, of the business, but actually then to their number two. Why is it that you do that? Because that's I find that really interesting because I haven't seen anyone else focus that kind of um, attention on the number two, let's say. Well, let, let, let's be morbid for a second. Oh. Uh, we're, not we're, not, we're not here forever. Okay. okay? That is usually, morbid. Come on, Terry. We're trying to have fun is. today. Well, I'm going, to, I'm going to uplift it in a minute. But <laughs> okay, look, you've got on. to be realistic. We're, we as individuals are not here forever, and neither are businesses, okay? So you take the young guy who sets up a construction company. Uh, he builds it to 10, 15, 20 million. 
He's now 55 years old. He's burnt out. He's worn out. And he's thinking, oh, God, you know, I wish somebody could buy this business. But nobody will buy it. Why? Because it's not, made, it's not profitable enough. It hasn't got enough repeat business clients in the pipeline. He's running it. He, he, he's got all the contacts. Nobody's going to buy it. But he needs to sell that business to retire. So all businesses and all individuals in those businesses, especially the owners, they've got a limited lifespan. So what you've got to try to do is optimize the time you've got to generate enough value so that the, the business can be sold, the owner can move on, and the business then thrives again because you bring new blood into the business. So it's, it, it's a cycle. You know, it, we rise, we, we dominate, we fall, we rise again. If you're, if you're in a niche, a niche, the objective should be to dominate that niche, to be number one in the niche, because that, that's, where, that's where the money is. It's, it's not good enough to be an also run. Which is why you need to pick a niche, which is why you need to position Absolutely, yourself. Absolutely, yeah, because once, once you've yeah. positioned yourself and organized yourself accordingly, you, you're equipped to deliver the value that the niche demands, and the niche will pay you accordingly. So, Terry, I've understood that I need to pick a niche. I understand that, you know, I've got to think about future trends and so on. All of these processes that you have gone through. But I read something because you're a growth expert for these companies, right? I read something which I found a bit unusual, to be honest with you. It was about growing your construction business the other day. And it was called the audition method, i.e. when actors audition for a part, they need to stand out. When construction companies bid for work, they need to stand out. And I have to say, when I've read this, and I've been a QS on the other side of the fence, if you like, receiving tenders, I found this to be a bit unusual. So using the audition method to grow your business, the advice was submit a very long bid. Within that bid, list unusual items. And the idea there being that by including including these unusual elements within your item you'll pique the interest of the person reading the proposal and ultimately that will lead to further conversation and so on what are your thoughts about that as a method it doesn't sound very practical to me um, I, i'll give you an example in my last proper job uh, i was evaluating a major project in bradford and we had six contractors bidding for this job, which was circa 30 million. Two of them dropped out during the tender process, and we, we got four tenders, four bids. Uh, one of them was from a major, major, major contractor, and there was something, I think there were six volumes of material that were part of the tender. It was an unbelievable volume of information, all let I mean, it was actually leather bound. It, it was, it was a document to behold, but it was, it was just full of nonsense. The, the, the smallest presentation we received was the most accurate. They'd gone into the project in detail. They'd put the whole team on it. They'd identified the flaws in the design. They identified the flaws in the program. 
They suggested various alternatives. It was the winning bid by miles. So I'm not attracted by volume and necessarily quality presentation. I'm interested in the fact that some intelligence has been brought to bear and applied itself to the, the demands of the project. Because it, it's, it's that old Zig Ziglar quote, uh, if you can help enough people get what they want, you can have all the work you want. So it's, it's about investing. Oh, I like Zig Ziglar. We talked about that last week, Terry. Yeah, no, he, 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 he was a crazy, crazy old guy, but he had some real home truths about him. And, and one of them is exactly that. If you help enough people get what they want, you can have everything you would ever want also. So it's about helping other people get what they want. That's, that's the mantra. And so when you're assisting clients uh, or advising them around how they present their bids, don't waffle on as this, as this advice gave. And I thought, it was, I thought it was incredibly unusual. But what is, how do you suggest that they present it? It is my final question for you, really. Well, it, it depends on how, you, how you're invited to present. I mean, personally, I, I believe in, in, in a face-to-face -face presentation. And, and I believe it should be, be delivered by the guy or the team that's going to deliver the project. You know, not the contracts director, not the business development director or the managing director, but the guy who's got the who will have the responsibility for delivering that project and who has created the bid documentation and or approved it and put his name to it to say, if we get this job, I believe we can do it on time, within budget, to the right quality. And, and I'm the person just, who will deliver it. Yeah, just, just let me go. You know, let the dogs go. I'll, I'll deliver it. <laughs> excellent, excellent. And I said that that was my final question for you, but I do have one last final question, actually. You are someone who has had an extensive career. If you could have worked on any project in the world, which one would you have picked to work on? Okay, that's quite a question. Uh, th th there's two buildings that I think of in particular. One's in Singapore, and it's a hotel. I can't remember the name of it, but it's like 40 stories high, and on the top, there's there's like a, a, a platform that looks like a ship. It, it's an amazing structure. But I think the one I'd pick oh, for yeah, is... Oh, yeah, Marina, Marina Bay Sands, that one is. I've, I've been in that building. Is it? it is an amazing yeah. building. Yeah, incredible well, building. Well, when you're on top of it, you, you find it very difficult to look over the, uh, the balustrade. Over the edge. so high up. Yeah. But no, I think, I think the most beautiful building I've ever seen is in Valencia, which is about 100 kilometers from where I am now. Uh, part of, of the city, there's two parts of the city. There's the... Well, three parts. There's the old city where the cathedral is and the fort and what you'd expect. There's now the new residential area where everybody lives. And then there's a, there's a park where the, there are some of the most modern, stunning buildings you'll ever see in your life. It's an amazing piece of architecture. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like to have been the project manager on that job. Excellent, excellent answer. I'll have to go and have a little look at that. Um, but Terry, it has been a pleasure to have you on the show. It's been fascinating chatting to you about 
all those different elements of how you can grow and think about your main contracting business. And um, I will be putting your details in the podcast description, details about your business and your network. Everyone should get in touch with Terry. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure, Paul. Thank you for, for inviting me. Thanks. Thanks again, Terry. I will speak to you soon, no doubt. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye for now. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye.